You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. I thought you were done being a hero. I doesn't look like it. Thanks for stitching me up. Luckily, it's just a flesh wound. It doesn't feel like a flesh wound. Nine years. It's been nine years since I've even come close to using my powers. And each of those nine years, I've told you this city needs you. So what's next? Well, you mean Black Lightning. There's no next. No, my, my daughter is safe. Do you remember why you became Black Lightning? You wanted to give the people hope. You wanted the evil that's out there to have something to fear. Right now, there's nothing to fear, and evil's running rampant like a plague through this city. Hell, through this world. Okay, you know what? Let's cut through the poetry and just talk real. Now, the purpose of Black Lightning was to kill Tobias for literally shoving my father's articles down his throat until he died. Then it was because of crime bosses, crooked politicians, every small-time street thug that had snatched a purse or, or robbed a store. You see, there's no end, Gamby. There's no bottom for Black Lightning. And the only loser in all of it is me. I feel like Lynn and I are making room for a possibility of a reconciliation. Do you hear me? I have a shot at putting my family back together. Black Lightning is not going to jeopardize that. I love Lynn and those girls. But we knew this day would come. Jefferson, I've known you since you were 12 years old. You're like my son. So I have to tell you the truth. The promise you made Lynn was well-intentioned. But it always had an expiration date. Welcome, everyone, to the 602 Club. I'm so excited to be here. I'm the host, Matthew Rushing, and I'm, I'm really glad to have this guy with me here to talk about something special as we're diving into the premiere of a show that just started called Black Lightning. And with me, one of the the coolest guys I know, the one and only Bruce Gibson. Matt, thank you so much. You know, it never dawned on me until today when you introduced yourself as the host that, you know, Ruby always waits on us. But if you're the host, you must have been the one to seat me at this table. Yes, yes, uh, I do. You know, she comes around and gets the drinks and everything, but I always seat the people. And so uh, luckily somebody else takes over those hosting duties so I can do do these hosting duties. Yeah, it's a big, oh, it takes so much to run the 602 Club. And, and you're such like a, a TV geek because I heard, uh, I saw f- uh, five people come in and say party of five and you're like, I've seen that show. It, it was, ex- I, it happens a lot. It happens a lot, you know, Um you know, we get, just get people like that all the time. Um, we had the A team come in the other day, which was great. Um, so um, Ooh, they, I pity the fool. Yeah, they they gave we gave them the the primo seats, you know, because that's what they like. Um, 
But anyway, uh, we're really excited to be here. Uh, you can find all the shows that we do here on Trek FM all over the place. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. But um, one of the main places is Apple Podcasts. And uh, while you're over there, help out the show. Give us a star rating review. Uh, it really does help people find the show. Uh, you have no idea how much your star rating review help other people find the 602 Club when they're searching. So uh, if you're listening to the show and you like it, um, head over there. Give us a quick star rating review, and you will get called out on the show with your review, and it will be read on the show. So everybody will know what you think of the show. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you'll be famous. You'll be internet famous. So do that. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Trek FM. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. We're also on the internet at Trek. Dot fm that's our website and you can go over there if you'd like to send us an email you're going to trek.fm slash contact choose a show choose the 602 club and that'll come straight to me and any of the hosts that week and then we've got our listeners only discussion group which is a great place to be bruce and i are both on there talking to people all the time about what we're talking about here on trek fm and if you want to join you can go to the website at trek.fm and click discussion on any of the menu bars. Or you're probably on Facebook like the rest of the population. And you can just type Babel into the search field there and you'll find the group and we'll be able to let you in. So all of those places you can check out. But um, Bruce, I wanted to dive in with you with Black Lightning. And I thought it was really interesting because this is a show, um, unlike a majority, I think, of the other CW shows, um, except for maybe Arrow. I think Arrow really had a big background, like that it had a backstory to it. And I feel like uh, Black Lightning is another one of those shows where there's um, a lot of setup for the show. Like there's a lot that's happened behind the scenes. Like this character's had a life before we meet him, which I thought was really interesting. And so I kind of just wanted to talk about that with you and how, uh, you know, they kind of set the stage, the foundation um, of what had happened for what will happen. The start of this episode was unlike a lot of premiere episodes of superhero TV shows or movies, for a matter of fact. It's usually an origin story of, you know, how they got their powers and who they were before that and and just building through that. This almost felt like it was a return to a previous series, meaning we learned that Black Lightning had previously existed and then he stopped being Black Lightning for nine years and then he's starting up again in this episode. So it's almost like watching this episode you would think, oh, wait, was, was there a Black Lightning show on years ago and, and this is the return of it? Because we're not getting the origin story. We don't know how he became Black Lightning. And we just kind of fall into the middle of this as if that we know history. So I like that, that it acts like it's got history to it that we don't know about that I'm hoping will be revealed as the series goes along. Yeah, I, I like the way you're putting that because um, it almost does feel like, uh, you know, this isn't like Black, Black Lightning Begins, it's Black Lightning Returns. Right. And so, yeah, you do have this real sense of history. And I, I think they they weave just enough inside the story to kind of give you uh, the bare bones of what had happened and that, you know, he had been Black Lightning because 
And they never even address how he got his powers. It always just feels like he's always had them. Mm-hmm. But that he started being Black Lightning because this guy named Tobias killed his father by literally shoving his articles, and I guess he was a, a, a journalist, down his throat, killing him. And so he went out to stop this guy, and then it kind of turned into this thing where it just became one thing after another that kept him being the character until his wife made him promise to basically to stop being Black Lightning. And then you get the feeling like he couldn't stop being Black Lightning, and so she asked for a divorce. And so he stops being Black Lightning and turns into a high school principal there in this uh, little neighborhood. I think of, it's probably in like New Orleans or something, but it's called Freeland. And he is now a well-respected high school principal who also, we found out, had been an Olympian. Yeah. So, like, he has yeah. this huge backstory. that just I, I felt all this weight of history, but it wasn't... I, I wanted to ask you, did you feel like there wasn't enough context, or did you feel like the episode was giving you exactly what you needed to make you feel like you understood what was going on and you felt comfortable? For the most part, I felt comfortable. I kept waiting to hear how he achieved this power, how he had this lightning superpower to himself. So I kept waiting for that to come up, and it didn't. And I thought, well, I'm sure they're going to address that later. But the only thing in there that felt a little odd to me, and I'm kind of jumping ahead in some respect. Well, I guess we're all over this episode anyway, but there's this guy, I'm, I don't remember his name, but he's the, um, the friend that has like a tailor shop. He's oh, almost Gamby, like the Alfred. Uh, Peter Gamby, the, the tailor, yeah. The tailor, right. Peter Gamby. So he goes into Gamby's shop and because he's been injured from a, you know, something that happened at the club. And I, I, there was this relationship and I was like, what, what is this relationship and who's this Gamby guy? He's like a, a retail clothing store. Why, why, why are we in here and, and why, what's going on here? They seem to know each other, but I, and he's an, older man and then later Gamby mentions you know uh, you know I've known you since you were 12 years old you know as if you were like my son or something like that and I said okay they have a history but again we don't know that history like how did they know each other and how did he know him as a 12 year old and again I'm expecting well I guess that's something that will be revealed later and that's what I'm saying it almost felt like there must have been a previous series and that came back years later and we're starting up like you said Black Lightning Returns so that was a little odd to me because I kept thinking, like, mm-hmm. who is this guy? I'm not really getting this relationship, uh, it, especially <laughs> when they went to the basement. Well, it reminded me of um, previously on Black Lightning. Like, that's what you needed almost like uh, the prologue. Right. Uh, and no, I, I think I think you're right. Uh, I think. So did it leave you with questions? So you're like, now you just want to have those answers or did it leave you frustrated? I think it was more that it just it left me wanting answers. No, I wasn't really frustrated. Because I, I guess because it's the first episode, I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm sure these things will come out eventually. I'm just a little confused at times as to what the relationships mm-hmm. were between these two and, and some of the others. But um, anyway, uh, 
but it, it was fine. It worked. It was just, it was the first time I've watched a pilot episode where I'm like, what, what, wait, what is this relationship? What's going on? And that was one where when he said that he was, he'd known him since he was 12 and they mentioned his father's death right before, I got the feeling like he was a friend of the family, like he was maybe a friend of his dad's and kind of stepped in to fill in that father role that Jefferson didn't have, obviously, at that point. And so I think that's the feeling I got. I'm wondering now if if that theory turns out to be true. You know, that was one of those things where I was able to create something in my mind that made it made sense. But now I'm kind of like you. It's like I want to see the answer. How, How did these two characters get to know each other? So I'm wondering if they'll do flashbacks um, like they did they'll continue to kind of use those as an opportunity to fill in the story points and and that would be something interesting because you know we've seen that play out on Arrow you know they used the flashbacks and so and I think this episode used them um, quite well to kind of give you the context of why he had quit being Black Lightning and why he had gone into being a principal instead and he's really a man who's trying to do the right thing, but he's also kind of grown to the point where he's trying to also do the best for his family, too, because he's 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 got two daughters. He's got an ex-wife he would like to find a way to get back with, you know, and being Black Lightning puts a big damper on that. So this this context that they're setting up of this history, I thought was was pretty interesting. And just the fact that all of that is there... Um, throughout the episode, um, I, I, I did, I, I felt like for the most part, it's pretty well done mm-hmm. and it didn't leave me frustrated. It left me wondering, which is always a good thing, you know, and they, you can keep the audience just wondering or, or excited to find out what happened. Well, especially with Gambia, as we're talking about him and he's not a big character. There's like just two scenes with him, but in the second scene, they go down into his basement and he has this you know, this is like an old timey looking tailor shop and they go down the basement and he's got this super duper high tech video screen and this suit that he's making for black lightning. And at the, again, I'm just like, wait, this is like some old guy with some old tailor shop. And now he's got super technology down the basement. Where did he get that? Who is this guy? You know? Yeah. You get, it was like the back. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And he kind of has that, he almost has like an Alfred feeling to him. Yeah, you know, I was thinking that's um. So he feels like the Alfred that we got in um, BVS and in Justice League. You know, like he's the older, curmudgeonly, you know, butler type almost. But this guy's a tailor, and so uh, it also <laughs> it was also kind of cool that they immediately answer. Okay, this is where he gets his suits. <laughs> you know, like he's the right. one who helps him create the costume to be Black Lightning. Uh, apparently he's taught himself some things in nine years because the costume looks a lot different than it did in the uh, playback we got from the uh, message that somebody had sent him, uh, that Gamby had sent him, reminding him of basically like, look, Black Lightning did cool things and good things, you know, too. Um, You know, you do great things as a principal, but you did great things as Black Lightning too, and maybe that's what the city needs right now, so... Yeah, and I think it's important to point out that both of us aren't that familiar with Black Lightning. 
from the comic books or from any other appearances. So we're not going into the series ha- knowing the history of Black nope. Lightning to recognize these things. Yeah, which, you know, sometimes is is really neat for a show because you don't come in with any expectations other than what the show gives you. And I felt like that, you know, that happened to me for um, all of the Netflix Marvel shows. I didn't know Daredevil all that well or Jessica Jones or Luke Cage. And those shows just kind of had to prove themselves to me just the show, you know. And Black Lightning is very much like that in the sense that, you know, I knew Green Arrow. Um, I knew Flash. Yeah. I know Supergirl. But this is a show that allows me just to kind of experience this character now on screen. And also, you know, if they do their job right, it could make you want to go maybe check out a couple of the comics and see what he's like there. So uh, I think that's really cool. And in fact, I did a little bit of research and in the comics, uh, Black Lightning actually operated in some of the slums of Metropolis. So in the same city of Superman. So that's very cool. You know, it makes me interested to go find out more about the character. Yeah. And I I did a little bit of research myself uh, because when you had asked me about watching the show, I said, you know, I really don't know that much about Black Lightning, but didn't he have his start on the Super Friends cartoon series? And I come to find out that that character was uh, Black Falcon, but was also Lightning. And both characters were developed in 77. And so Black Lightning was developed in the DC comics and Black Falcon was on Super Friends because apparently they couldn't use Black Lightning because they didn't have the license from the creator. Interesting. So they created Black Falcon, which is very similar character and he shoots lightning, except he can fly. That's like the only difference between the two. So I found that was interesting. And then I uh, then I remembered as I was doing some research that he appeared in there's a short lived comic called The Outsiders. It was yes. Like Batman's yeah, I remember that gang. one. Yeah. And I had a couple issues of that. And I was like, I remember him from that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, I think we should probably, you know, dive into the cast. And, you know, I know Cress Williams, who plays uh, Jefferson Pierce, a.k.a. Black Lightning. Did you guys go to school together? No, no. Um, but I did see him. He was on uh, the first few seasons of Grey's Anatomy. He was Bailey's husband. Oh. Um, so that's how I met him as, as an actor. But, you know, I have to say, I think he has a ton of charisma. And I really enjoyed watching him on screen because he's asked to do a lot in this episode. He's a father. He's, uh, you know, a retired superhero. He's a principal. He's trying to juggle um, a, a school that's caught in a city that's full of gang warfare um, and trying to create a, a, a safe place for his students to learn and to grow. Um, and he's trying to do things the right way, you know, and he's trying to instill that in his students. I just felt like he had a lot to do in this episode acting wise. And personally, I really enjoyed his portrayal and I, I thought it was strong and really solid. And it, honestly, I think on his portrayal of the character alone, it's what kind of made me excited to dive into this series. He's a very tall man. He appears to be strong. He can be forceful when he needs to, but he knows how to just play it 
to that soft, caring side that you believe the fact that he is a principal. Like he, you can just see that he belongs in a school and being a mentor to the kids in the school and being a father to his daughters and a good father. Not just, you know, he's the dad. He's like the smart dad that is watching out for them. And he, he'll use tough love if he needs to. Uh, but I, yeah, I definitely buy him as a principal. I think I buy him more as a principal and a dad than I do a superhero, <laughs> you know? I think that's going to be the interesting thing um, because they spend so much time of the episode without him being in the suit, you know? Um, will be interesting to see him kind of grow into that. I do think part of that is the suit might take me a little while to get used to. It's pretty flashy. Yeah. But... His characterization was really good. I wanted to ask you specifically, I mean, because you're a dad of two teenage girls now. And so how did you feel about the way that the show portrayed that kind of dynamic? My girls are a little younger than these. Uh, I'm not sure how old the oldest one is. I know the youngest one says she's 18. Yeah, the other one is a medical student. So she's, yeah, Yeah. gotta be in her 20s. But... um, there's some similarities between them and my daughters. The oldest one in here is more of, you know, more mature and, uh, you know, she's got her career or whatever. My oldest daughter's 16, so she doesn't have a career, but my youngest is more of the teenager of into clothes. And I can see when she gets older, she's going to want to go out more and so, and so, and like the youngest one in this series did. So the dynamic of the two, you can tell the two daughters are close, but then they go head to head. Thankfully, my girls don't really go head to head that much. They don't argue that much (laughs) with each other. But uh, I did wonder as I was watching this: Will this be my daughters in the next like three years? (laughs) You know, but it's tough because you know they're teenagers, and that's one thing that was said about the youngest daughter uh, and uh, Jennifer Jen. They said, you know, she's she's a teen; she's being a teen, and that's a scary thing when it comes to daughters. And, and Jeff Jefferson's got a really tough deal here because he's, as a principal, he's responsible for taking care of all these kids. And then he's got his daughters on top of that. And he's a single dad. And so, you know, from what I can tell, he's doing a pretty good job, but you know, he's definitely, you know, the club scene, he goes, he finds his daughter in that, in that club and he's up like on some balcony looking down on her. And I thought, you know, it's almost like, you know, he's a a Falcon, not Black Falcon from Super Friends. But he's like this, you know, a, a watchful eye from above watching down on his daughter. And he's ready to swoop in when she needs help. Yeah. And he kind of does. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's one of the strongest parts of the show so far. You know, look, I, I don't care what community you're from or what your ethnicity is. Uh, I, I think on television, we've had a lack of really strong father figures for a long time. Um, you know, I can think of a few that I've really enjoyed over the few the last few years. I think Last Man Standing. I think Tim Allen's dad is a great dad. Um, really there for his kids. Um, I think on the CW, we've seen... Uh, Joe West be an amazing father figure to a lot of people that aren't even his kids, you know, Um, (laughs) or the kids he didn't even know he had, you know. Uh, I I think that's been really great. Um, 
And so to see this I, I and and to see him be a dad who's so sold out for his girls, he's willing to give up being a superhero for his family because he thinks that is that that's what's best for them. Um, and to devote himself to to making good kids. You know, he, his goal is to try and create kids that are going to help change the world, that are going to be impactful for the world in some way, shape, or form, small or large, whichever way they choose, but he wants them to be impactful. And I just really responded to that because, you know, fathers get a short shrift these days, but they're very important in their kids' lives. And I think specifically, um, you know, having a good male role model for daughters of how um, uh, a father treats their daughter is huge and how they'll then respond to what they kind of look for in a guy. If they have a dad who treats them with respect and and, and honor, they're not going to put up with guys treating them like crap. And we, we even see that from Jennifer. You know, she goes to the club and the guy starts kind of treating her like he would any old girl in the club. And she's like, uh-uh, I ain't having it. You know, why? Because she's used to being treated with respect at home. She knows her worth. She's not going to take less than that. And I think watching a dad do that on television, great time for that. And, and awesome to have it be, you know, Black Lightning and Jefferson Pierce you know, pouring that into his kids. And he does that for all the kids at his school. I think that's awesome. I have mixed feelings about that. I, I, I like what you were saying about being an example uh, for your daughters. And I think about that all the time. So every time I'm dealing, you know, and my, re- I'm relating to my daughters in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I have to be a good example because, you know, I don't want them. I hope they marry somebody kind of like me, maybe better. (laughs) But, but what's important to me at the same time is I try to show them how I treat my wife because I want them to see how a couple should treat each other. And I have a problem with a lot of TV shows lately and even some movies. There's so many single parents and there's nothing wrong with that. And it's good because it, it, it shows it can show the good side of the struggles and all the things that a single parent has to do. But I'd like to see from my standpoint, being married, seeing more two parents trying to raise children together and showing the example of relationships between each other. And it's always seeing the parent having an estranged relationship with someone else. Yeah. No, I, I mean... I agree with you. I I think, you know, um, families being torn asunder is definitely something that every community has had to deal with, you know, that just the family unit kind of slowly dissolving. And I think that we have seen the problem with that um, in every community. I, I it doesn't have to be a black or white thing. I, I think that this is just a problem in all of our communities, you know, and a part of that, like you said, I love the way you put it, Bruce. So like having a, a, a man show respect for his wife in their household and how a man should treat a woman has a huge impact on whether it's your son or your daughter. Because if it's your son, you're showing the way that you expect him to treat the women in his life. And if it's your daughter, 
you're showing her the way you expect her to be treated by other people in her life. And so I think the beauty of that is the reason that there's kind of that setup in the first place as a father and a mother and, and their kids. Um, and so I agree with you. Um, I do kind of like that this is a story about a man trying to put his family back together. I think that's not something we see a lot. Um, and so it's neat to see him committed to that and, 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 and realizing that that's what he wants, but he wants it for everyone, not just him selfishly. I think that's really cool. So yeah, I, I'm, I think it is one of the things I'm interested to see in the show to see where it goes. And I think it's, I think it's, it's good that we're seeing Jefferson raising his daughters, that this isn't the situation of the, the mothers raising the daughters and the black male, the African American male is the one that left the family and has abandoned the kids because there's too much representation of that sometimes in movies where, you know, the guy goes off yeah. and it's the mom raising the kids. It's the opposite. And I don't get the I don't get the sense that the mom abandoned the family. She's still involved. Well, and, and she mentions right. that if, they have I mean, he mentions they have joint custody, but it does yeah. seem like they do live mostly with dad. So yeah. I think you're right. That that creates a really interesting dynamic and it's neat to see again that the father figure, especially in that community, um, really taking responsibility. Uh, And I think that's really cool. And I think the whole show kind of in general seems to be about that, you know? So um, what did you think about the two daughters? You know, you've got uh, Anissa and Jennifer as the two daughters. You got Anissa, the older daughter and Jennifer, the younger daughter. Um, How did you feel like they worked? Because sometimes, you know, um, kid actors or teenage actors, you know, it could be give or take. So what did you think? I thought both actresses were really good. I did not have a problem with their performances at all. At all, They did seem like sisters. I mean, they would bicker, but then also cared for each other. And I felt that in the performances, not just in the dialogue in itself. There were times I've, I, I got confused which one was the youngest one and which was the oldest one because they looked really close in age. <laughs> but I mean, I guess any, you know, two kids do, uh, especially at that age, if they're like 18 and 20 or 21 or whatever she is, the oldest one. But um, Anissa, the the strange thing about her character to me is the actress to me seems like she would be more passive and laid back and conservative, but yet her character is involved in some pretty active demonstrations that have gotten violent and physical. And I don't know if I buy that character being in that environment. Uh, And I don't know if it's the actress or not. I do think she's, I don't think she's violent herself, but I feel like she's going a little too far in her demonstrations that don't feel right for the character for me. The thing with the older daughter that I thought was interesting was I think that she's somebody who has obviously very well-held beliefs, you know, and part of that comes from her parents, you know, how they've raised her. I, I think what it is, um, at least what I was interpreting it is, she's not going to any demonstration to be violent. She went to those because they were supposed to be peaceful demonstrations, and they ended up turning into something that wasn't. But I didn't get the feeling like she was involved in the violence part. 
but it felt right. like she got arrested because she was a part of the demonstration in the first place, and they were just kind of rounding people up. But then she got violent on the school in the school, right? But it, that seemed to be because she was protecting her sister, and that's how I took it. Is that the moment somebody threatened her sister, she just she she wasn't going to have that. Um, yeah, but she's got some. moves Oh my on gosh, her. she does have some moves on her. It's awesome. Well, and I mean, spoiler alert from the end, the very end of the episode, she also apparently has powers. Right. So yeah. But it was, it, it's that those moves that just didn't feel right for the character is what I'm getting at. It just it just didn't feel like she would be that physical in that manner. To me, I took it that she was somebody who had been in self defense class. A lot of it, right? Like that. That's who she seemed out to be. I didn't take it as that. Like, well, and we saw her and her sister running with her dad. So it does seem like they're a family who very much prides themselves on you take care of yourself, you take care of your body. And she also seems like somebody who would be, she's not going to take guff from anybody, so she's taking self-defense classes so she can basically whoop your butt if she has to, uh, if you, right. you know, get up in her business, which I totally get. I'm glad she did. So, the younger daughter I thought was interesting because it's interesting to see the way her rebellion is because, you know, it's kind of the classic... Mom and dad want me to be straight-laced, you know, and I don't want to be that. You know, I want to be free. I want to be me. I want to, you know, go party and do that kind of stuff. See, that's where I see my youngest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but, you know, I, I thought that that was interesting because, you know, her sister comes back or they're having their argument. And she's like, you know, everybody just wants me to be the track star and get good grades and be a good example for... The younger girls and her sister's like, well, when did that become a bad thing? You know, and like, there's, I mean, it's a hard thing because, you know, I, I feel like American adolescence has become this time of kids just being able to have fun and do whatever they want. And and what you see in the Pierce household is that adolescence is here to appear, prepare you for adulthood. It's it's not just meant as like a party time, you know, and she's rebelling against that. And I think that's an interesting thing to see because um, the very things that she's kind of gravitating towards are, are the things that her dad has been fighting against, you know, this life of drug use and just partying and, and getting kind of caught up in that routine to where it leads you down a path that you can't get out of. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but she is doing the things and ha- going out and doing, uh, play- going to places and hanging out with the people that her dad is against. I don't know if she's rebelling against her dad as much as she's just being a teenager. But I know not all teenagers are like that. Um, I think, I don't know if it's something to do with like being the youngest because <laughs> like I said, I could see my youngest doing that more so than my oldest. There's almost like this, the oldest feels like maybe takes on more of a parenting type of role when they have a younger sibling and maybe they get, you know, feel more mature and, or maybe it's just that the youngest feels like they have to rebel because the oldest always tried to do things right. And now the youngest wants to do it their way. I know it's not like that for everybody and, and all that. I mean, but it's, it's just, it's interesting how those two are going to play out as the series goes. 
And you know, and 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 Jefferson all even mentions his older daughters. You know, she's not an adult because I mean, she's living in my home and she's eating my food and she's living off me and all that. So and she's Im- still mentally immature. And I'm thinking, yeah, and uh, so is your younger daughter. Yeah. <laughs> and she's 18. I don't know if she said she was 18, if that was true or not, if she was lying in the club. I, I wonder if she was lying in the club, because it, it felt more like she's like 16. Yeah. But I don't know. The older I get, the harder it is to tell people's age at that age. So, Well, especially with actors, because sometimes they'll hire older actors uh, to yeah, play younger absolutely. characters. So. Well, uh, what did you end up thinking of? We talked about... Uh, James Remar playing Peter uh, Gamby the the tailor and what did you end up thinking of of him um kind of specifically as Jefferson's oldest friend and of course you know becoming kind of that father figure and mentor you know kind of working as the quote unquote tailor yeah i don't know i just thought he was a little weird <laughs> it just like seemed so out of left field just Jefferson running to this tailor and he's got the tape measure around his neck and he's in like a three piece suit and in this old tailor shop. And you're right. He felt like, you know, the Alfred we got from like BVS and justice league. I I don't know. I just feel like there's like this whole interesting story behind this guy and his relationship with Jefferson that it, and the reason I think it's interesting is because it just, he just seemed so random and out of, place to me like it just like where where'd this guy come from and what does he have to do with anything and why is he like this old-timey tailor type dude Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it just i don't know it was just strange i didn't have a problem with the performance as a matter of fact i I wanted to go look up that guy that actor and see if i'd seen him in something else. he's been in a lot of things um he is he was in uh dexter um he's been in so many things like when you look him up you'll you'll You'd be like, oh my gosh, he was in that. Uh, so I really, I really enjoyed him. You know, and it, and I, I kind of felt like the same thing a little bit where it, it almost is that he feels out of place. Yeah. I think it's because he's the only real white guy in the show. And, this is a show that's mainly about this African-American community uh, and this small town really dealing with this. And he's one of the few, you know, white people that we see. The only other white people we see are cops that aren't great. Right. You know, and so the fact that he is this character uh, is interesting. He was also on Gotham. Uh, he played uh, Frank Gordon, his father. So... Uh, so yeah, you've seen him there. I know, uh, your daughter, your oldest daughter watches that show. So, yes, so do I. Yeah. Well that, well, no, it's interesting. You're saying about being the only white character to me, there were some things that were conflicting to me and that's one of them. And, and they portrayed this environment, this area of Freeland as being like an inner city violent area. But yet, when we go to the home of Jefferson, it's a very nice suburban-like home. And they have a yard and everything. It didn't feel all of a sudden we were inner city, yet we're all in this Freeland, which I know there's parts of cities that, you know, more urban than others. But it felt very suburban, which was counter to what 
I felt was being presented in the environment of this area. And then we go to this guy in this tailor shop, which felt almost like very 1940s <laughs> to me. It, it felt know? like that. Um, it, it, so if, if the city is supposed to be kind of like a New Orleans style place, I, it, it felt very reminiscent of a city in the South where you kind of have your suburbs, but you also mm-hmm. have, you're going to have more of the inner city. And what I think we see is that, you know, Jefferson has been able to create a life for himself that allows his family to have that nice home, to live in this neighborhood because of the choices that he makes. Um, you know, he has that conversation with his his daughter as they're driving, you know, uh, to uh, the gala that they're having at the school where he's getting recognized by one of the congressmen there. Uh and he talks about specifically everybody has a choice like you all we all have choices we make and we can see his choices and where they've led and they've led to this you know they've led to a decent life for him and his family um i also now we know where he gets those nice three piece suits he wears as the principal so that's right um but you know they kept commenting on his clothes yeah, and how nice he, he looked. and he did, man. I was jeez. <laughs> if I had a job where I could dress like that and could afford to, it'd be awesome. I, that's a that's fantastic. But um, you know, Peter, I thought was an interesting character because he does feel a little bit out of place with the rest of it. But I think that's going to be something that may be important as we move through the series. You know, like there's like you said, there's this kind of mystery around him right now like how did he really get to know uh peter how did they come together how did they become friends how did all this work out i think that's something that's going to be kind of fascinating to watch um throughout the series uh and to see him like fully be like he's the guy who's fully on jefferson's side and fully on the side of black lightning because he's seen the the problems in the community and he's of the opinion he feels like black lightning might be the only person to handle it and he's kind of the one pushing jefferson to get back out there because it's not getting any better out there and i thought that was you know that's kind of interesting um because i feel like a lot of these heroes they need that person to give them that push to get out there um and of course you know and and the push to get out there is because his daughters are kidnapped and his wife gives him the okay, she basically, go get our girls. Um, and His ex-wife. His ex-wife, yes. yeah. So, uh, you know, um, yeah, the, I don't know. I'm, 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 I, I, I think I'm with you in the sense of, like, this Peter character, there is kind of a, a like a, a shroud around him and I kind of I'm look, looking forward to the show kind of pulling back the layers to see what's there. So, yeah, these aren't complaints. There's just no, absolutely. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, what did you think of, of, uh, Latavius? Uh, our, we've got our, one of the main villains we have in the show is Latavius or Lala. Uh, and he works for Tobias whale, who is the kind of the mysterious character that we hear about that Jefferson has been after for all these years. Um, and he is a part of the 100 gang. Um, and I thought, man, uh, William Catlett, who plays him, was really magnetic when he was on screen. 
Yeah, he was. Don't don't call me Latavius. Call me by my real name, Lala. <laughs> Which I think Latavius sounds better than Lala. In my <laughs> yeah. opinion, I was like Lala Land. Like you really like Lala Land, huh? <laughs> well, and that scene uh, in the school. I think we'll get to this a little later. Um, but that is one of the best scenes of the series where Lala comes into the school and confronts Jefferson, the principal, and there's this confrontation between the two. And And this is one thing I wanted to ask you. There's this boy then that walks by and Latavius or Lila is like, you know, hey, boy, say, you know, say hi to the principal, meet the principal. I, I still not really clear who that kid was. Because he even said, you know, you missed the van. You missed it. And I was like, what What van? What is he talking about? Like, I didn't know if he was like his nephew or something. He acted like maybe like he knew this kid. And then he asked, act, and, and this is a high school. And this kid did not look like he was high school. And then he asked the kid to sweep well, around no, the school. Well, uh, no, I think, I think <laughs> that, well, part of it, um, I think they're. I went off topic. Yeah, I don't think they're at the school at that point. I think they're at um, La La's restaurant, where he kind of runs his part of the his part of the the one hundred gang. And you saw the other kid kind of come out, and he drops the dope bag. Uh, yeah. He's got it the um, the marijuana bag. He drops like this is where the headquarters is for the one hundred gang that you know La La is a part of. And he's going out to sell, and this kid, because he even mentions he's, you know, he tells him, "Hey, um, y- you know, uh, the neighborhoods you're selling in." So it feels like he's a kid who's kind of under his care, but right. also a kid who uh, he's kind of like, um, he's kind of like the ringleader in <laughs> Oliver Twist, you know, mm-hmm. who's getting these kids to go out and sell the drugs in these neighborhoods. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, he's, he is not a nice guy. Like, and I just, I, I found him, his portrayal very magnetic and he, he very much has a point of view. Especially in that scene. Yeah. yeah. And, and why he does what he does. Like he has a world view and what he does is supported uh, by what he thinks of the world and what the world he thinks the world thinks of him and specifically black people. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that that, to me, again, it carried a lot of weight, and I thought it was really fascinating because it's, it's in a minute, we'll talk about kind of the thematic elements to go on that, but the, the character himself and the portrayal, I thought was really good. Yeah, and, and you're right. He, he was, yeah, then that wouldn't have been at the school. That makes sense now because Jefferson was approaching him. Right, about on his turf, basically. Coming, yeah. yeah, on his turf, right. I don't know. For some reason, I was thinking they were in the cafeteria. Well, <laughs> but, yeah, because there's a scene where somebody's got trays and stuff, like they're cleaning yeah. up those tables. Yeah, I can understand why you'd think that, yeah. But now the 100 gang is also like headquartered in a motel. Yeah, because so they had, well, it, it seemed like they have a motel of ill repute, basically, like where you go, you know, if you want to find the lady of the night. Right, because they wanted to put uh, Jennifer in there. Yeah, so, well, and and what's interesting is that on the other side, you have Tobias Whale, who we meet at the very end, basically, who, you know, calls Lala in 
shoots him with a spear gun and asks him if he yeah. needs to just kill him and take care of this black lightning problem himself or if Lala can take care of it. And so you get the feeling like and he's the top level now of the the 100 yep. gang and he's the last guy you want to piss off. Yes. And didn't you like that scene? Because like you were saying, Lala is kind of a jerk. And just to see him being taken down by Tobias like that, I was like, yeah, do it. Do well, it. And Tobias has these <laughs> words like henchmen that remind me of the henchmen from Diamonds Are Forever. So that instead of it being <laughs> two guys, you have this kind of strange woman and this strange dude. And they're his like side henchmen. I don't know. It was what it did is it really created uh, that kind of comic book mob feel and I thought they did it really well because earlier you kind of see his office um, and he's throwing a guy into his piranha pit so right. it's not a nice guy no not at all not at all yeah the his henchmen were interesting yeah too. they were they weren't what your no, typical no hench- they're like real skinny <laughs> and <laughs> they look like they should have got out of the what is it the the mystery machine from Scooby <laughs> or something. Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> oh, man. Well, okay, so it was really interesting because talking about the villains, I think the show kind of sets up this interesting dynamic of, of these two roads, and I really liked how the premiere sets up uh, two roads and a mirror between two different approaches to life. And, and, you know, Jefferson, he creates a safe space, a safe place for these kids to grow and to learn away from the violence that's all around them. And I kind of thought this was neat. You know, he even has this motto where he says to the kids, where is the future? And they say, right here. And whose life is this? And they say, mine. And what are you going to do with it? And they say, live it by any means necessary. Like really teaching these kids to take hold of life and to make it theirs the best way that they can but in the right way, you know, get the education that they need, treat people with respect, uh, live in this world to, to do good in it and to take care of it and, and not to take advantage of it. And, and on the other side, you got Lala, who's like you said, you got that kid, that moment. And he's like, you know, what pisses me off is when you don't give it your best. There's a time to play games and then there's a time to focus on the reality. And the reality of the situation is, well, you got your mind buried in those games, those video games, those white boys in those neighborhoods you're selling in are being prepared to run the world, and he says, you're black ass. And so you see the dichotomy of these two different views of the world, one where it's against you, the world is a very much a us-versus-them attitude, and then you've got the other one where you, I think... Uh, very much kind of the Martin Luther King Jr. about overcoming. And and Jefferson even quotes him earlier in the show. And I thought, what a great message. I, I don't think it's even just for the black community. I think this is a message that we all need because I think we can all fall into one of these categories of us versus them. Uh, and most of the time, I think it feels like, especially if you're on social media at all, it just feels like an us versus them all over the place. And that just, it's not conducive to making a world that anybody really wants to live in. Yeah, the beginning of the show, when uh, Jefferson's in the car with his daughters, and you know he's addressing his oldest daughter for doing the protest. And like you said, I mean, she was 
she said it was a peaceful protest. He's like, oh, yeah, that, you know, where then there was violence. And I don't think she was expecting that. But at the same time, she's saying, you know, well, we have to take a stand. In a lot of ways, she's like Lala. I mean, they're coming from the same approach as if, you know, we have to really fight to to get where we need to be and to be heard. And they're, of course, doing it in two slightly different approaches. But then when Jefferson was talking about, you know, that's not the way to do it. And I'm making a, a difference by being in the school. And he's talking about more about the peaceful way of doing things. And my first thought was Martin Luther King Jr. Because Martin Luther King Jr. is all about, you know, basically send the example. If you want peace, you have to demonstrate peace. And then he quotes Martin Luther King Jr. I'm like, I just was thinking that. And that's almost like, you know, MLK and Malcolm X, you know, the different approaches to things. And there's the side of, you know, there's, there's a way to do it peacefully and quietly. And then there's the more direct in your face kind of way, because as his daughter was basically saying, like, you know, how much patience can I have? How much longer? I mean, there's only so much you can do and your whole life could pass by before anything changes. And so instead of taking it slow and being peaceful, you got to take a stand and, and be very vocal about things. And that's how Lala is too. Lala is kind of like, you know, same message of, you know, we have to overcome, but the only way you're going to do that is if you take a stand and you're aggressive about it, where Jefferson's more like, you know, I'm going to change the community by rooting myself in the school. The community that I'm changing happens within the buildings of my school, which then will reflect outside of the walls, where the others are like, we are going to break down the walls and we're going to force change. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Um, and, and part of me agrees, but I think the other part I'm thinking is that it feels like Lala, though, too, is more, he's resigned to the fact of the way things are. And he's, he'll just, he plays the game the way it's played. You know, he, he takes the hand the way it's dealt and he'll, you know, um, yeah, I guess it's less about change and more just getting ahead. Yeah, he, yeah, exactly. There. But, but in, in, in a lot, uh, yeah, but I mean, he's getting ahead by breaking every rule, you know, selling drugs, running prostitution rings, getting kids to sell drugs, you know, like, um, running clubs, uh, running a gang with fear, you know, like all of these things that are kind of slowly eating away at the ecosystem of the of the city um and creating the the chaos that then feeds into the fear that the police have on the other side and of course we see that the police aren't necessarily always handing things the right way we see good police officers and bad police officers here um one of the police officers is a is a good friend of of Jefferson's um and you know i th- i think it's what what I like about the show is the way that it reflects the reality that we're in. And we really do have two choices. We can either overcome together or we can just play the us versus them game where we end up destroying each other. Fight the fight. Yeah. And 
one is definitely harder than the other. But one also means more people live and less people die. Um, and I think we end up with a better society with the one than the other two. And I like that they've placed these two kind of side by side. And, and what we see is these two different father figures too, you know, these two different ideologies battling it out and which one will win. And, you know, obviously by the end of this, this, this episode, we see that Black Lightning is back because things have gotten so bad it has kind of come to the war that's needed to, to maybe make things better, you know? Um, right, so it's no longer about peace. It's now back to violence. Right. Which I was a little disappointed about in Jefferson. I mean, I know this is a superhero show and his kids were taken. Right. And he had to go get them, so I get that. But even earlier, he reminded me, this is the superhero he reminded me the most of, and that is the Incredible Hulk. Especially when I think about the Bill Bixby series from like whatever the seventies, those eyes. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. When the Hulk would get mad, those eyes would change first, and in, in Bill Bixby's character, and yeah, you know, the Black Lightning has been suppressed for nine years until Jefferson is treated unfairly by the cops, and. It's his anger that brings his powers back. And then later in the club, again, he's protecting his daughters, which bring his power back. But then he attacks two police officers and then blows up their car. And really, those guys were just doing their job. Even his buddy said they were doing their job. Right. Or the press. Well, and, and, and I think it, um, you know, what I like is the the nuance to it. They're doing their job but they're doing it disrespectfully to him. You know, they right. tell him to get uh, and this get his black ass on the ground. Yeah, and he said and he said earlier with the other cops this is the third time right. this month or something. So what like we're that. seeing is is a world in which it's become an us versus them thing. And how do you break out of that? And so I think what will be interesting is something that kind of brings us to the next section that I thought was really interesting is this double standard. There's a commentator on the television that we see talking about there are other superpowered heroes in cities that are white and they're not called vigilantes. They're called heroes. Why is Black Lightning called a vigilante? Um, and I think it's interesting, you know, at least in the Arrowverse, this is not part of the Arrowverse. This is outside of it. But we've seen Arrow himself be called a hero and a vigilante. He's been both. Or most of the time, he's kind of a vigilante. The city doesn't really know what to do with him. Um, but I do think it's very clear here in this Black Lightning verse that there are other heroes and there is a double standard that this black hero is being called a vigilante and looked at not in the same way. And I liked the way that they're handling the social commentary on the show and how it's running through the show because I think it's very even-handed showing... The both sides uh, and I don't I highly encourage you, if you haven't read it for anybody who's interested uh, Benjamin Watson and the player for the Ravens wrote a book called Under Our Skin which is an amazing book and he talks about this idea like Jefferson he's been pulled over when he wasn't doing anything wrong he just happened to be a black guy and a nice car and a good neighborhood you know and mm -hmm. talking about that reality and helping us understand what those things are like. And I again, I think it's 
when we see our world, we have created a world that's become so much this us versus them thing. It's created this ridiculous, awful double standard that people start to hold on both sides, and it's hurting us. It's hurting us because we're not seeing each other as human beings first. We're seeing each other through a label, and it's it's damaging, and it creates that double standard again on both sides. And I understand the message that they're wanting to convey in this, but in a lot of ways, I, I think it's unfair. I, the fact that this isn't in the Arrowverse, I get that. But to make the statement, you know, why are the white superheroes called heroes, not vigilantes? But we haven't, we've seen an Arrow and Batman and Spider-Man. So we've seen these white heroes called vigilantes. So to say that we never see this in the, within the universe of the show, I mean, that's not really true to what we've seen through yeah. other shows. But, you know, I know that they're, they're trying to make a point and that's fine within this context, but that just bothers me a little bit. I um, think it'll be interesting to see how, you know, as the, the character of Black Lightning comes out, you know, back into the cultural consciousness of Freeland, if people begin to see him more as a hero. Because I can at least the feeling I get from a lot of the people we saw talk about Black Lightning from the past, it was good. You know, there are people who had their shop saved by him or, you know, some somebody, he had been helpful to them. So it seems like the public perception of Black Lightning for the most part is pretty positive. So I'm going to be interested to see how that goes and, and how they develop the show. So, um, And I would like to see them, I'd like to see Black Lightning move outside of the neighborhood, not move away, but just just expand his horizons, like go outside of the community and do things with his superpowers and not just keep it in Freeland because if he's got these powers, he can help things around the country or the world and become a world-known superhero, and then there's pride in the community that it's our community that brought the world the Black Lightning. Yeah. And maybe yeah. that would even help improve the attitude of the community because, you know, Freeland is something now because we're the home of Black Lightning. Kind of, kind of the way that, you know, like Superman does for Metropolis or Gotham with Batman and those kind of things. No, I, I see that, and I think that's a good, that's a good thought of let's... let's um, Let's allow this character to become something that helps inspire, you know. Right. And and that's obvious. And, and you know, that's one of the things that his friend says. You know, Peter says to him, he says, that "You you started Black Lightning to give people hope." Yeah. And I, I think that's going to be something that's really interesting: is how Black Lightning bring hope while still sometimes needing to resort to violence. But bring hope not just for part of the community, but the entire community, so you can begin to bring it together. That's going to be something that I think is a tall order for any superhero to do, but it's going to be really interesting. And I think, you know, this show reminds me of a lot of um, what we saw in Luke Cage on uh, the Marvel series from Netflix, which I really enjoyed Luke Cage. It's one of my favorite uh, series. So I'm, I'm glad that this show is is on the CW and I hope people give it a chance. And I think this has a slightly more serious feel to it and a slightly less campy feel to it until he put on the costume. 
Um, and then it was, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I wanted to say, I rewatched it today. So I've seen it twice. And when I was doing the rewatch, it wasn't until he put the costume on and went out there. To, and usually when they put the costume on and they go and do their superpowers, that's the part I've been waiting for. If anything, I was so invested in this character as a human being and not a superhero and what he was doing with his own power within himself and his community as a father, as a principal, that was kind of disappointing that he had to resolve his issues and solve the problems by becoming the superhero. I almost wanted it to be the story about Jefferson and not about the superhero. Mm. And I, kn- yeah. I usually don't get that when I watch a superhero movie and, or, or a TV show. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. How interesting this would be if we didn't have the superhero aspect. That I, you know, I think again you created something that's really uh, fascinating, and the fact that you enjoy the show so much outside the suit, you have to find a way to make the part inside the suit just as good. You know, I think that'll be something that'll be interesting to see if they can do as they can continue to show. I hope so. Because I think the rest of the show, like you said, I think is really strong. And so if you've got that, um, you need to find a way to make that happen. Um, I do think part of that is that the suit is really loud. Yeah. Um, And I don't have a problem with that in comics, but it felt like it's not as... It just feels grand. Yeah, it's very. It's it's, yeah, futuristic. Right. It's not Flash or something like that. You know, this is this is like you said. I think you're right. This feels very grounded, very real. Um, and and I think part of that is just what the the issues we're dealing with are very much where we are, and so. I I want even the superhero part of it to feel grounded as well, so that the show connects really well. So. And just to mention, Luke Cage, I read uh, the guy who created Luke Cage later created Black Lightning. Yeah, there you go. So that's why I'm getting the same feel. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what would you end up rating? You've got the, the premiere here for Black Lightning. What do you think, Bruce? The premiere was very good for the reasons we said that. I think I, I like the idea of it kind of dropping us into the middle of a story or the restart of a story without knowing what the previous story was and so things would be revealed and the fact that we said it felt grounded i thought the characters were strong i like the lead character uh i like him as a principal and a father more so than a superhero um i mean right now i'm not i'll probably check out the show again a couple times um I don't know if I see myself watching this long term, but because there's so much stuff I'm trying to catch up on, I can't add to the list. But, <laughs> but uh, I would give this, um, I would give this the the premiere of this definitely four and a quarter lightning bolts out of five. I like that. Yeah. No. Um. I I agree with you. I think this is is strong. Um, I think it's a good start. Um, I I love like everything we talked about with the the feeling of it, the groundedness of it, the way that they're pro- uh, approaching the things, the, the story. We got the father, um, everything about that. Um, I I will give this four out of five. Ruined cars, 
Um, and so um, I think that the one thing that we definitely, and you brought it up, and I think you're absolutely right, is that we need to make sure that when he's in the suit, that story is just as strong as when he is not in the suit. Um, and, and that's going to, I think it's going to be interesting to see if they're able to do that. So um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm excited to continue the show. I really enjoyed Luke Cage, the series. And I really enjoyed what that show had to say. And I feel a lot of um, what I read in Benjamin Watson's book and in that series of Luke Cage here. And I'm really thankful for it. I think it's important. It's good. And I hope this show continues to grow and to get better. It's a strong premiere, you know, four out of five. And I was personally hooked by the character of Jefferson Pierce. So I want to continue to see how that character continues to grow as well as with his family and everything. Like I, I got invested, which is great. So I'm excited to do that and really glad we got a chance to talk about it, Bruce. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you can find us all over the place again. Just make sure you check us out wherever you get your podcasts. And really want to say thank you to Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson for supporting the 602 Club for so long here through Patreon. Now, uh, we have a massive network here, and um, it just it costs too much for us to be able to put it on just by ourselves as the hosts. So go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can be part of the team. We have so many different ways we love to give back to you. We've got early access to content, producer credits. You can get in on the patrons roundtable. So much more. Honestly, every little bit helps. So again, go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can join us and, and help bring all the shows that we put out each and every week to you almost I pretty much every single day. So... Uh, Bruce, uh, you've got a lot going on. If anybody would like to catch up with you and see what you're up to, where can they find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex, and you can find me here on the network talking about Star Trek Discovery the day after it premieres. Well, uh, we do a live show, me and Brandy Jackala, called Live from the Edge. And we get a bit crazy at times. <laughs> and uh, that's Mondays at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Tune in live to watch us. And you'll find the link when we tweet it out or post it on Facebook. For example, in the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L. And I'm in there quite often. And uh, also do literary tracks about the Star Trek books and comics here on the network with Dan Gunther. And when it comes to Star Wars, talk about that on the Star Wars Report. And that's usually weekly. If I can get Riley to set up a time to record this week, that would be great. Uh, <laughs> that's on StarWarsReport.com. And that's where you find me. And one thing I wanted to call out real quick. Um, at the beginning of this episode, Black Lightning, uh, it starts off with a news anchor uh, talking about you know the riots, the protests that are going on. And that is an actual news anchor in Atlanta named Amanda Davis and she's been on the air for 20 plus years in the Atlanta market and she just recently passed away a few weeks ago so I just wanted to mention uh, that she's if anybody's in Atlanta is familiar with her she was in this episode at the beginning wow man well um, you can you can find ah, gosh 
You can find me on Twitter, uh, MattRushing02. I am uh, on Instagram under the same name. Um, I'm here in the network doing The Orb, Chris Jones, talking about Deep Space Nine. You can also find me on the Nerd Party Network talking about Star Wars with John Mills over on Aggressive Negotiations. We have a blast over there um, just digging into the nooks and crannies of the Star Wars universe. Uh, recently really been digging into some of the implications of The Last Jedi. Um, we also recently won the Parsec Award, so uh, we're really excited about that. I hope you'll check out the show and let us know what you think. Um, you can also find Owl Post, which is a Harry Potter podcast I'm doing with Drake Kaufman as we talk about each and every chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. And last but not least, doing cinema stories with my good friend Courtney as we talk about film through the lens of faith. And we actually just recently covered Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Uh, and uh, you can find all of those shows wherever you get your podcasts. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, dear. Lightning came with no rain. I saw a superhero last night. He was black. He said, this is for the hood. Black Lightning's back. We pray at night for the helpless.